Well, hey there, Northridge. So good to see you. It, it really is good to see you. If you're a guest, um, I'm this weekend's guest teaching pastor. Uh, <laughs> It, 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 is, uh, it is so awesome to see you, to be here again with you, to engage with you. But I tell you, it's been a phenomenal summer here at Northridge Church, hasn't it? I mean, so many great things have happened. We, we had an outdoor baptism where hundreds of people came to not, who had come to faith got baptized, which was a blast. We had a leadership summit here at Northridge. We believe that those who should be the greatest leaders in our world should be those who follow Jesus, and so we're really into unleashing leadership, and we had the Leadership Summit here, and many of you came to that. I hope all of you will come next year. We, we had Northridge in the Park. Was anybody at Northridge in the Park? It was phenomenal. I mean, we filled up Kellogg Park in downtown Plymouth, and it was just a great worship experience. And then, of course, we had our unforgettable series where we had these sensational, gifted and uh, communicators who have God's hand on their life, and all of them made such a huge difference here. And it was, uh, it impacted me. I hope it impacted you as well. I hope it impacted all of us as a church family. And one of the things that really excited me about the Unforgettable series is that it was closed off last weekend by one of our own, Chris Crutchley. And I thought he did a phenomenal job. Chris Crutchley is our campus pastor at Northridge Brighton. So Northridge Brighton, give him a big shout, a big hand. We're, right now you don't know that we're one church. If you're a guest, you don't know we're one church, but we meet in four different locations here in Plymouth. But right now we're live streaming with all of our other campuses. So Northridge Brighton, I hope you give Chris a big shout. And Northridge Grosseal, glad to have you with us. Northridge Celine. And it's just an exciting thing that we have the same mission just meeting in different geographical locations. And it was, it was an awesome summer. And now I have the privilege, the true privilege of being back. And it's exciting. I'm looking forward to the fall. But if we could be honest for a minute, while it was a great summer here at Northridge, God did some great things. It was really a tough summer in many ways in our world, wasn't it? I have to tell you, I just absolutely agonized over the Charlottesville thing. The Charlottesville thing I think displayed the worst that humanity has to offer. And, and I, I believe it's the Church of Jesus Christ that needs to speak light into that kind of hatred and that kind of vitriol, that kind of disgusting and perverse behavior. But I actually was invited, Rick Warren called me. He's the, the pastor who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. You may have heard of him and I've had a relationship with him for a while. And he called and he asked me to join him with a small group of other large church pastors of every ethnicity and gender and denominational background. There were about 40, 50 of us, and we just sat in a room from early morning till later in the evening discussing how the church can and should respond to the hatred of a Charlottesville because we should be displaying the opposite sides of that. And it was a great discussion, and I believe that we're on our way to doing that here. Um, it's been a tough summer because of the natural disasters that have brought tragedy into so many people's lives. I mean, Hurricane Harvey, I, I mean, the, the images of that and the, the knowledge of the people that are struggling down there, we know people down there, and it's just horrendous. And if you're a guest, you don't know, but Northridge just cannot let people suffer somewhere in the world without trying to make an investment of light and hope into them the best we can. And, and so if you want to know our initial response, it's just initial, you can see it on our website. I sent letters out and we're looking to now put together teams that will for probably years be going down and helping homeowners get back on track and those communities to rebuild themselves like we did with Katrina many years ago. And so I'm excited about that. We're we're partnering with Samaritan's Purse down in Texas, and uh, they've already given us big updates. They're making a big impact. We can't wait to join them with our volunteers. We've helped them financially so far, but they just, they've shared with us that they've seen over 100 people put personal faith in Jesus Christ as a result of their efforts down there already, which is what it's all about. It, isn't, it, isn't it just like God? to take one of the most horrific events that humans can experience and to breathe light and hope into that. And that's what the church should be doing in our world. Darkness prevails, friends, but the light of Jesus is real. And, and then we sit here today and right now, Hurricane Irma is pounding 
people down in, in Florida. I mean, it's, it's like worst case scenario. And I tracked it because my mom lives in Bonita Springs, right where the eye, it looks like, is going to go over in Collier County. I used to pastor a church down there three decades ago, and I care deeply about that area. And we got my mom out, thankfully, but many people haven't gotten out, and so much property is going to get. I told my mom yesterday, it's like, you're safe. Who cares about your house? But it's going to be a tragedy down there. And I, I just think it would be listening and, and, and looking for our response as a church. We're going to try and invest down there just like we have in Texas and those kind of things. But right now, the one thing we can do while this storm beats in on them is we can pray, right? So would you just join me in a prayer for those who are in Florida right now? God, I just ask that you would pour your grace down into that circumstance. You know, really bad things happen in this world to even really good people. It's just a, it's a world where tragedy can reign. But God, your grace can be all over it. I pray that first of all, you'd protect people, that you would protect life, that you would uh, truly, truly, truly keep people safer than we imagine they can be in this storm. But in the midst of all of this, I pray that people would discover your light and your hope and your goodness. And we thank you that we have you to turn to and lean to, the one who is above the storms of our lives, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Next week, I'm going to begin a series that I've been wrestling with all summer long, really. It's, I've never done a series out of this book. I, I tried to get out of it this time, but God wouldn't let me, uh, kept drawing me back into it. We're going to start a series out of the book of Psalms next week, and it's it's got a weird title, and I really believe it's the center of what God wants to communicate to me, for sure, to us as a, as a church family. It's called World War Me. And as you read through the Psalms, it's just so raw and so real, the humanity that's expressed in there. You see people struggling with betrayal and hurt and disappointment, and where is God, and why is there pain in the world, and all this different stuff. But then in the midst of it, these little gold nuggets of, but we'll trust you even through the valley of the shadow of the death, but you're good even though all this bad is happening. And and it's really the struggle between the me's, right? The me who lives in this temporary world where this is what I experience and, and the me who resides in the heart and family of God where he never changes. And, and the me I'm focused on is the me that wins. And all of the conflicts of our life come from this World War me that we're struggling with. And, and I look forward so much to unfolding it because I believe if you admit the reality of your humanity, you're going to relate to the struggle of these real humans who crafted these beautiful poems and songs out of the Psalms. And I hope we'll grow together. I hope you'll be inviting people, and I hope that God will use it. But you're sitting here going, okay, well, we heard about the great summer. We've heard about the tough summer. We've heard about next week. But I'm here right now. In fact, I sat through traffic to get here. Thank you very, very much. And give me something now. And so this week, we're going to be looking at a word that I believe defines the desperate need that each and every one of us have as individuals in this world and the word that should define really what the Church of Jesus Christ and Christians bring into this world and the world the word is hope hope I think that it's very very important that we acknowledge that we live in a world that is an unbelievable mess. Every once in a while, we have seasons in our own life maybe that aren't so messy, but there's still mess in it. But look at the world. It's a mess. Racial tensions and political tensions and economic, cultural, moral, social, religious tensions. In every area, there is this conflict and this struggle and this war going on. But here, here's the vision that God has given us as Christ followers. It's the vision he's given his church. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world, there's hope. Because you see, and I hope you'll get this, in Jesus there's always hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, there's always hope. And we, we don't make this vision up. This isn't a fantasy of our making. It's not wishful thinking. It's the vision that God gave to his people the church, but it's also the vision that was realized by his church in the early and first days of its existence. And, and what it did was it turned the world upside down with that hope. And the vision is simply this, 
The world can be changed by the hope of Jesus. In Acts chapter 11, in the center of the book of Acts, we have just one example of this. It says that in the midst of this very dark world they lived in, the Lord's hand was with them. I mean, God's hand was on them. In the midst of the tragedy, the betrayal, the persecution, the suffering, the rejection, the seeming absence of God at times in their life, the Lord's hand was with them. And in this world of darkness and this world of hatred, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They experienced his hope. And in that very messed up world that the book of Acts was experienced in, with, with all of the same tensions we have here in the 21st century, people found hope. And their lives changed and the world changed. And it happened one life at a time. And here's what I want you to see. It can happen today in our world, in your life, in my life, in our lives, in our world. I, I want you to see that Christianity, what the church is supposed to be about, can, can really be summed up in four words. They're seen in every example of someone who found hope in the Bible. It's seen in every example of when the world was turned upside down with hope. I mean, these four elements are always there. You can see it in Paul's life. You can see it in the early church's life. You can see it in the whole Bible. The first word, and I actually, I'm going to fill in a graphic that I drew. I'm a pretty visual person, and sometimes I need to see things, and I'll try and explain it as I go through this talk. But, but this, this graphic of three concentric circles that show the dynamic nature of life, that life's not linear, it's more circular, it's, it's more interconnected, it's more redundant. But in the very center of this graphic is the single most important difference between those who have no hope and those who have hope, those who know fulfillment and those who don't. And that word is Jesus. Jesus in the center. And if I, if I could just tell you, and this is so important, the reason our world is so messed up is because Jesus isn't at the center. The reason our marriages get so messed up is because Jesus isn't at the center. The reason the marketplace is so messed up because Jesus isn't at the center. And the reason my life gets so messed up at times is because I don't have Jesus at the center. The truth is, the reason so many churches are so messed up is because Jesus isn't at the center. But when Jesus is at the center, hope is at the center, and everything is different. Jesus has to be at the center. That's where he has to be. And you need to know, this isn't just a believer-unbeliever thing. Because the truth is that, that unbelievers don't have Jesus in the center. In fact, unbelievers don't even have Jesus in the picture. Believers tend to have Jesus somewhere in the picture, but very seldom do I or you have Jesus at the center, which is why we can have Jesus and still experience so much darkness with him. Because Jesus needs to be at the center. The whole point, that's... If you're going to experience hope, Jesus must be at the center. And if Jesus is at the center, it's more than just our words. I can tell you every weekend, Jesus is at the center of my life. Is he at the center of your life? Jesus is at the center of my life. Is at the and we can say, it. yeah, he's at the center of my life. We can all go, Jesus is at the center of our life, and then we can go live like crap in the world. So if Jesus is really at the center of our lives, the characteristics of Jesus will be at the center of our lives, right? Which bring in the other three words that are descriptive of what Christianity is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to be. If Jesus is at the center, then the very first thing that will be at the center along with him is love. I mean, this is the only reason he left heaven and came to earth. God so loved the world, he sent his son. And so if Jesus is at the center, we will not be filled with hatred and bitterness and malice and anger. We will not be filled with violence and motivated to hurt and to revenge. No, if Jesus is at the center, love will be the guiding reality of our lives. Do you see that? But, but, but Jesus' love is not the love like so many of us claim, even within the church these days. You know, the love that isn't true love, it's empathy. Many people in the name of love, in the name of the church, in the name of Jesus are just filled with empathy and they feel for people as we should. They care about people as they should. But what they do is, because they have empathy, they tell people everything they want to hear. In the name of love, they say, you're okay, keep doing it, it's okay, it's kind of, you're, it's, everything's okay. It's like a parent who tells their kid to go play in the middle of a highway with cars 
whipping by at, I'd say 70, but no one drives 70 at 220 miles per hour. Does a parent who lets their kid play in the highway, encourages a kid that it's okay to play in the highway, truly love their kid? No, because true love doesn't allow empathy to win. True love tells the truth, which is at the center of the life where Jesus is at the center. There is no hope without truth. There is no hope without love, but they have to be together. Jesus never separated love from truth. He loved people so much that he told them what they didn't want to hear, the truth about themselves, the truth about the world, the truth about morals and values in life. And so at the center, if Jesus is at the center, if I'm going to know his hope, it's going to change my life. If we're going to know his hope, it's going to change our life. If the world is going to be changed by the hope of Jesus, Jesus has to be at the center, but it won't just be words. It will be displayed by love and truth. And there's one last element that Jesus proved. You know, Jesus could have come down and he could have done life totally alone. I mean, he, he could calm storms. He could do anything he wanted. He didn't need anybody, you'd think. And yet, he didn't do anything alone. Why? Because God created us to be in community with him and with others. That's why Jesus said the greatest command is to love God and love others. It's the greatest command. It's the one that we can't experience or live out in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, in our failures. Because when Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they lose? They lost their relationship with God and their relationship with each other. They lived in brokenness and denial and blaming each other. And, but you know, Jesus came and he, he, the perfect one, died on the cross because the wages of sin is death. And he made it possible for us once again to be in this involved in this love relationship with God and this love relationship with one another and you, you can't have Jesus at the center if you're not involved in a love relationship with God and a love relationship with others and so at the center along with love and truth is involvement is to be involved you cannot live the Christian life in a singular fashion the minute someone comes to faith you are no longer a me and a my it's a we and an us and so, if Jesus is at the center, it means that these elements will be a reality in my life and reality in your life. And, and God makes it very, very clear that when they are, we're changed by hope. And therein's the problem, right? The world's not being changed by hope very much these days. You can see onesies and twosies around the world, but you're not seeing the world changed by hope. Why? The problem is that for the most part, the world's not seeing true Christianity lived out. God's vision for the church isn't being expressed in our world as it was in the beginning. People aren't experiencing Jesus at the center of their entire existence with love, truth, and involvement at the core of their being. They aren't experiencing the hope of Jesus. And so... Here's what I want to share with you. Since we all crave hope and the transformation that comes with it, we have to get it there and because we want our world to be changed with hope. That's the vision God's given us and the passion we have at Northridge. Then we have to get it done. It's our mission at Northridge to let the world see his hope in us because Jesus is at the center. Here, here's the truth that I want you to see, and I, I hope you'll get it. hope it resonates with you. The hope of Jesus is available to all. The hope of Jesus is available to you. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know this. The hope of Jesus is available to you. It's available to all. And, and there's a second part to this truth that I want you to see. It's just so, so important. It's not only available to all, there's just nothing more important. And it's so sad when I see it in my own life, when I see it in my leadership here, when I see it in your life, when I see it in our world, that, that even when we acknowledge the importance of Jesus and, our, Jesus and his hope in our lives and world, very often we have other things that are a little bit more important. Not many of us get up in the morning every single day and making sure Jesus is at the center is the primary reality of our lives. We're... We're about the business of living, right? 
I mean, many of us, even those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, many churches, they, they, they worship politics more than they worship Jesus at the center of their life. They worship all kinds of issues more than they do. We care more about hurricanes that are blasting the thing, and it's important to care about. But you know what? I won't care about the people being hurt by a hurricane like I ought to unless Jesus is at the center of my life. Jesus at the center. There's nothing more important than this hope. Paul experienced this. Paul, if you're newer to the whole church deal, Paul was this guy who was extremely religious, but he didn't know God. I mean, can you imagine? He was uptight about religion, but he didn't know God. And as a result, he was expressing hatred in the name of his God and brutalizing people in the name of his God, just like we see today, right? That's going on all over the place, sadly. But all of a sudden, he met Jesus, the real Jesus, the for real Jesus, in Acts chapter 9, and his whole life was flipped upside down. This evil, spiteful, disgusting, hateful man became one of the premier individuals to have ever walked the planet because Jesus was at the center of his life, love, truth, and involvement. It was an amazing thing. His life was flipped upside down. And then, and then he started introducing his world to the hope of Jesus, and it started flipping upside down, and ultimately the entire world changed because of him, and, and we see exactly the middle of this grid. Jesus loved truth, involvement in his life and what he did. Look at how he says it in Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 to other people. He says, remember at that time you were separate from Christ. You, you were separated from Christ. Christ wasn't in the center. He was nowhere in the picture. And, and so because you were separated from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. The way I could apply that to us is you were excluded from being involved in the family of God. You were excluded from experiencing life as a child of God. And it says not only that, but you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. In other words, you heard about the promises of God, but you didn't experience them. They were foreign to you. It was, it was, it was stuff that you had never even experienced because it was far from you, because you were separated from Christ. If Jesus isn't in the center, you won't experience relationship with God and you won't experience his promises because if Jesus isn't at the center, you're without hope because you're without God in this messed up world. But Paul goes on and says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ because Jesus died and was buried and rose again and you've put your faith in him. He's now at the center and everything has changed. That's really what we should be experiencing. That's what this church should be about. Our community and our world shouldn't be the same because of us. Which brings me to the really important question. I've been doing a lot of thinking on this. How do we make this happen? How do we bring Jesus to the center of our life and these characteristics, and then how do we help others put Jesus at the center so our world can change, right? Wouldn't, this be, wouldn't it be awesome if this happened? And the way we do it is the same way Paul did it, same way it happened to Paul, and the same way that he shared it with his world, same way it's always happened. All you have to do is look. How? Well, the truth is that what we have to do is we have to... Uh, we have to experience three significant life choices. And then we have to keep experiencing those, making those same life choices. If we're going to fulfill our, our mission as a church, we have to help people experience these three significant life choices and to keep experiencing and making them. And same thing with us as individuals. Because this is what happened to Paul. It's what happens to all of us if we're going to experience the hope. If, we're not born with Jesus at the center. Every day we don't wake up with Jesus naturally at the center. So some things have to happen if he's going to be at the center. The, the first one is, and we see it in Paul's life, we have to wake up. I, I lived a lot of my life not even understanding Jesus was relevant to me. I thought he was irrelevant. I believed what I was told by this messed up culture. By the way, why do you want to listen to this messed up culture for your guidelines for living? Why do you take the, the USB cord of your life and attach the culture's thoughts and thinking to your brain and let it download into how you live? Are you kidding me? Look at the consequence in their lives and maybe you should say I should follow someone else. 
But we don't just wake up naturally and put Jesus at the center. What we have to do is we have to every single day wake up to the need for Jesus to be at the center or nothing will be right. And that's what happened to Paul. He started waking up. Here's the principle. Because some of you are going, yeah, the world needs to wake up. Those people, my neighbors need to wake up. My boss needs to wake up. That's what the staff at Northridge says about me. They, he, my boss needs to wake up. We're always, someone else needs to wake up. But look what Romans 13, 11 says. The hour has already come for you to, what? Wake up. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. And look who he's talking to. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we believed. Who's he talking to? Christians, the church. Of course, people who don't know Jesus need to wake up. Jesus is nowhere in the picture. He's saying, you who claim to follow Christ, you who are always in church, you who are reading the scripture, you need to wake up. And it's so true. If Jesus is going to be at the center of my life tomorrow, then I am going to have to wake up to Jesus tomorrow and put him at the center or he'll start scooting to the outskirts of Brad's life. And the reason that we have to wake up is simple. We miss, get this, we miss what God has for us when we're sleeping. It's so sad that so many of us are missing all that God has for us right now because we're sleeping. We need to wake up. You can read about this in the Bible. The disciples missed so much when they were in the garden with Jesus and he was at the critical point of his life and he said, pray with me an hour. And what did they do? They slept and they fell and messed up royally. The 10 virgins, there's a story about the 10 virgins. Many of them weren't ready because they slept and didn't prepare. And you miss what God has for you when you're sleeping. You need to wake up. I, I, I'm here to ask you, is Jesus at the center of your marriage, of your morals, of your choices. The reality is, because some of you are hearing this and saying, man, Brad, this is really good for the people in my row. <laughs> the reality is that wherever you are on the journey, you need this. We need to wake up wherever we are on the journey. And I, let me just tell you, I've been a I've been a pastor for like almost three and a half decades. I've been the pastor of this church. What a privilege of my life. But I've been here 28 years. And I'm finding that I need to wake up as much now as I've ever needed to wake up. This summer I've gone through experiences where I've just realized that I've gone to sleep in certain areas of my life and they're not experiencing all that they need to be, and I need to wake up. I have found that the longer I follow Jesus, the more likely I become lethargic and asleep in certain areas of my life. And I'm here to challenge you. You need to wake up. And if you don't wake up, you're going to miss all that God has for you. And what's our practice at Northridge, the, the place? You see, the, the church can't do it for you, but the church can support you, right? And... And where we try and wake you up is in our weekend services where you are right now. That's why we serve coffee. Um, that's not actually why we serve coffee. Uh, our weekends really are about waking you up. Every, every time I stand on this platform, I'm coming with the passion to wake you up, to put Jesus back at the center of whatever you've removed him from so that you'll experience hope. That's why I do this every single week. Because Monday through Friday, we tend to go to sleep and we need to wake up. That's what the Bible says we should do. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. That, another way to say it is, let's consider how we can wake each other up time and time and time again toward what we're supposed to be, love and good deeds. Jesus at the center. So don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. No, don't do it once every three weeks, once a month. I mean, keep getting together so that you can wake each other up, encourage one another, and do it more and more as you see the day approaching, as the world gets darker and darker. And of course, that's what we need. Of course, let's be honest. Waking up's not enough, right? Look at I, I wake up every day but I don't live every day well. Do you? 
In fact, I can have, there are days that I don't wake up well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it can still be a good day if I get enough Starbucks, but I mean, usually, you know, I can wake up really well and then still live very poorly that day. I mean, have you ever woken up really well and then the whole day went to crap? I mean, has that ever happened to you? I need, some of you are going, my kids in this auditorium, thank you very, very much. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> we have kids ministry, uh, just a thought. Once we wake up, then we have to start living well. And if we're going to live well, what we have to do is we have to live in Jesus. If Jesus is going to be at the center of our life and we're going to experience our lives changed and our world changed by the hope of Jesus, then, then we have to wake up for the need for Jesus to be at the center. And we need to choose to live each moment, each choice in Jesus because that's the only way we can live. If I live in Brad, bad day. If I live in Jesus, great day, even if it's a horrific day, right? Look at the principle, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. Living in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. People talk to me all the time. Look at it, I thought the old was supposed to be gone, the new is supposed to come. I've experienced a bunch of the old. It doesn't say you know Christ. It doesn't say you say Christ. It doesn't say you sing Christ. It says you live in Christ. And if you live in Christ, you live a new life. So I wake up and live in. Look at Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, and get this, with every spiritual blessing, with everything we need to live the life of hope we're called to live. But how does it happen? He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. How? In Christ. We have to live in Christ. Once I wake up, I need to live in. We have a lot of people who come to Northridge and they wake up, oh, Jesus is real, I believe in Jesus, Jesus can forgive my sins, I believe that, and they accept Jesus, and that's really awesome. And then their life doesn't change. And the reason their life doesn't change is because they don't then start living in Jesus. They keep living the same way, tacking Jesus on somewhere. Jesus needs to be at the center. We need to be writing him, living in him. The reality is, I'll say it again, we all need this wherever we are on the journey. Some of you are going, oh, I've been a Christian for all these years, I've got this thing down. You're the person in the most amount of danger. Because you can live for Jesus 25 years and you are no different. The only different thing about you is how much Jesus is in you. And the minute you're not living in Jesus, you're no longer living in hope. You're no longer living in love. You're no longer living in truth. We, this is for me. When we stop living in Jesus and his love, truth, and involvement, we, we stop living the new life. We return to the old patterns. We don't experience his blessings, are you? And what's our practice here? Our practice here is if we're going to encourage each other, come alongside and help each other live in Jesus, then after we wake up on the weekend, then we really want to get people connected in groups because remember, if you're not involved in relationship with God and others, then you're not living in this thing. And, and the closer you are to people who are living in Jesus, the more challenged you are to live in Jesus. And we're going to be changing this a lot here at Northridge. We're going to be adding all kinds of things. We have community groups and, and that, but we're going to start making everything into a group. I mean, if you serve, we're going to start establishing groups. If, I mean, all of our ministries are going to have study groups that you can be a part of. And then we're going to create what we don't have now, training groups where you can really be teach, have a teacher facilitating your training as a believer. And, and we do it in groups. And what will happen is we can learn how to daily live in Jesus. I'm going to tell you it will change our lives. That's where we're going. But then it's not enough to live in Jesus. Can, can you, it's not a good thing by the way, and we all know this. It's not a good thing if someone you love breathes in and doesn't breathe out. It's not a good thing. The truth is it's impossible to be alive if you don't breathe in, breathe out, 
breathe in, breathe out, correct? And yet too many Christians are living in Jesus, but they're not living out Jesus. They're just dead as doornails. All they're doing is collecting Jesus in their life, which is useless if you're not living Jesus out in your life. And so we wake up, we live in, and then we live out. And this is that third grid. And by the way, remember, it's not stagnant. It's not linear. It's like I wake up, and then I live in, and I live out. Oh, I need to wake up again, and I live in, and I live out at deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels. There's no end to this. This is the picture. Let me give you the principle of living out Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 25, starting. Jesus called them together and he says, you know that people who don't know God, people who are separated from God, you know, the Gentiles, they, they lord it over other people. They're high officials. They use their power and positions and influence to exercise authority over them. In other words, they get people serving them, filling them up, making their lives comfortable. But Jesus then says these four words, not so with you. Instead of being like people who don't have Jesus at the center, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just, and he uses himself as the example, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what he's saying? He said, people who put me at the center wake up to me and live in me, and as a result, they live me out. And you know what's sad about Christianity today and in so many church settings? Now listen, and I'm not trying to be mean because what I want for you is hope, but what I want for you is life change. What I want for you to experience is Jesus at the center. You know what's sad about most places like this? The vast majority of people are sitting and taking and not standing and serving. They're living in but not living out, which means they're not experiencing hope. Look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You've got freedom, but don't use your freedom to indulge your selfishness, your flesh, your own comfort. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I'm wearing a shirt. In fact, all of staff and all of our volunteers that have gotten their shirt are, are wearing the shirt that says, to love and serve. You cannot genuinely love and not serve. If you love yourself, you serve, but who do you serve? But if you really love others, you serve others. You can't help it. And so this Christian pattern, if we're going to experience hope and deliver hope, we have to have Jesus at the center, and the only way it's gonna happen is if we wake up and we live in and we live out, and it's a perpetual pattern of our life. And here's the reality, we all need this wherever we are on the journey. Some of you might be saying, oh, yeah, I've been serving a long time. But have you been growing in your serving? Have you been deepening in your serving? I think the first step should be different than the 200th step, don't you? Our practice here is serving. The, the way that we come alongside and we help people to experience Jesus' hope is by helping them to wake up trying to get them in groups, trying to live in, going to do more and more on that score, and then trying to get them to live out. And the way we do it is step into serving. That's how we do it here, on campus, in community, around the world. For genuine believers, and I, I hope you'll understand what I'm saying, for genuine believers who are really awake and really living in, serving should be the natural consequence of leave, living in Jesus just as surely as breathing out is of breathing in. Look at John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Jesus says it's natural. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And if I could just, an aside right now, I believe a lot of us are really, really thirsty. We want to know God. We want to know hope. We need help. Jesus, at the center of your life, is where your thirst is quenched. Jesus is the one you're looking for. But it doesn't stop with Jesus being in the center of your life. Look what Jesus says. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. But it doesn't stop there. Whoever believes in me comes to me and, and lets me quench their thirst, as the scripture has said. This is so important. 
Rivers of living water will flow from within them out, right? From within them out. Doesn't say they'll keep expanding until they're bigger than a Goodyear blimp with water. That is awesome. It's going to flow. You're not meant to be a reservoir. You're meant to be a channel of God's blessings into the world, of his hope into the world. But you can't do it unless you live out. You have to live out, and that's exactly what's supposed to happen. When you believe in Jesus, when you live in him, you automatically flow out through service. Nothing stops you. To love means to serve. And as Jesus said, serving is the sign of true greatness, right? You want to be great? Serve. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be great? Serve. Because of that, here at Northridge, I believe, I really do with all of my heart believe the true heroes are those who are living in Jesus and living out Jesus by serving. And though we don't do it nearly enough, this is why we celebrate volunteers at Northridge like we did this past Thursday night. And just to give you a glimpse, we put this together. We are sitting here together among the committed to Jesus Christ at Northridge Church. And if this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. This is unbelievable. I'm in my 28th year as the senior pastor of this church. And I don't marvel about a lot of things anymore, but I still marvel about people who sacrifice their time and their talent to serve like you do. You're amazing. You, you inspire me to want to be better, to want to invest more because of what you do. What a great community we get to be a part of as volunteers. Because you are such committed volunteers serving Jesus Christ, I believe you make God smile. And there is absolutely nothing greater than that. The scope of the impact of the reach and influence that God has given this church family None of it would have happened without you. Not one thing. The Church of Jesus Christ is not built upon a couple of staff people. The Church of Jesus Christ is built on His people serving Him and doing ministry in the name of Jesus. And you are that people. Because of experiencing His love in such a profound way that you can't help but serve. and serve. It's you. If you are awake to Jesus, genuinely awake, and if you are genuinely living in Jesus, you need to make sure that you're genuinely living out Jesus. You need to live him out. You need to show Jesus' love by serving those like those you just saw in that video. And this right now, in this moment, is your opportunity. And I'm, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I, I'm not. We have over 2,000 volunteers in this place. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get something from you. I long for something for you. And this is your wake-up call. You will not experience the fullness of Jesus, the greatness of his promises, if you're not living out. He doesn't pour his blessing on selfish people. So right now is your opportunity. Right now, while our team's going to come back and lead us in worship, and after the worship, I'll step back up to finish out the service. You, during this time of worship, you can take your first step into volunteering here at Northridge. And we've made it simple. You don't have to like come forward and do all this stuff. No, it's... If you're not already serving on the weekend, seriously, we've made it so easy. All you have to do while we're worshiping is take out your phone. Take out your phone and get ready to text. You're going to choose just one, because it's a first step into serving. You're going to choose one of 11 opportunities where you can serve on the weekend, a simple step into serving where you can start living out. And while we're worshiping, a graphic's going to come up that tells you the number to text to and then what to put in the message of your text. And I just can't encourage you enough to do it. 
What you'll do then is you'll get a little form back that takes like 45 seconds to a minute to fill out. It just asks what service you attend and if you serve, if you're going to serve, do you need child care? Because we're going to start offering child care for people as they prepare to serve and get invested here because we want young families to be able to serve just like anyone else and get you involved and just fill out that thing and then our team will tell you where to come and all that through another text or email to yourself. But here's what you need to realize. You have a moment right now that you can seize or let pass. As your pastor, I, I really want to encourage you, don't leave this auditorium without taking this step because usually people who walk out without taking the step never take it. So take the step as we worship right now. song says, oh, that men would praise his name to the ends of the earth. And I have to tell you, that stirs me to the core of my being. Because I know that Charlottesville would have been a very different experience if everybody there was praising God and his name to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine the difference in any environment where there's struggle and tension and hatred and violence, even in places experiencing a natural disaster like Florida right now, can you imagine the difference if everyone going through it was praising his name to the ends of the earth? Imagine how different the world would be. And I know it sounds like a far-fetched dream. Come on, I, I'm a realist. I live in the real world. <laughs> I mean, this is a messed up world and pretty likely as long as God calls people like me to teach, the world's not going to change very much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really. But here, here's the reality. It happened with Paul. It happened with the early church in the Roman Empire, which was a little bit more perverse and destructive than America. Because they woke up to Jesus and started living in him and started living him out. And I think it can happen here too. I know it can happen here. Look at Acts 2.47. In the midst of the Roman Empire, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The world was being changed by the hope of Jesus. Can you imagine 
If we saw that, if you wake up, if I wake up, if we wake up and live in Jesus and live out Jesus, here's the result. Our world will be changed by the hope of Jesus. The politicians won't change it, but Jesus can. The educators won't change it, but Jesus can. The pastors can't change it, but Jesus can. Can you imagine if we unleash Jesus in this world? And that's what we can do. We can do it. But we have to live them out. And so, here's the thing. I want God's hand on my life like it was on them so that people can find hope through me. And I want the same for you in our church. And all we have to do is put Jesus back at the center. Wake up. Live in. Live out. Let's do it together. Just before I encourage you to go and live for him, I want you to know that I believe God's working in some of your lives in a very serious way. Some of you want to start a relationship with Jesus or you want to take it further. Well, we have a prayer team that meets up front in all of our environments, Northridge Brighton, Northridge Celine, Northridge Grosseal. You have a prayer team we do here in Plymouth as well. And, and I just encourage you, if God's challenging you or you want to know Jesus, come forward and let them pray with you, talk with you, would you? And don't forget, next week, the book of Psalms, World War Me. Man, get as many people as you can here because we're going to deal with the realities of our lives. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. No sacrifice can now repay.